Welcome to Jim Galliano's Building a Better Web Presence podcast. Build something better with less moving parts, less overhead, and less headaches. Hey everyone, this is Jim Galliano, and thanks for joining me for today's podcast episode. This is the podcast where we talk about building a better kind of online business. Better for yourself, better for your budget, better for your mental well-being, better for the family, better for everyone. One that doesn't break the bank, as I like to say, while sucking the life out of you with endless to-do lists and things that are impossible to keep up with over the long haul. You know, we talk about things like the hustle mentality, and we can look at the pros and cons of that, and I really don't have anything against a hustle mentality in the short term. It's when we get into the long term that things begin to break down. You know, I have to admit, I know personally what it's like to come back from the brink of a mental exhaustion. I was there myself back in the days when I was in the process of building a large agency business following what you might call the corporate blueprint. Just a quick piece of my own backstory. I went to college. I was involved in things like, I guess my skill set involves a combination of things from uh, graphic design to writing to the technical side of things. Those three things I've done for most of my life in one way, shape, or form. But after getting out of college, my main objective was to get started in the agency world in in a reputable agency. I'm talking about graphic design, marketing, publicity, promotion, that type of agency. And there were plenty of them around at the time. But even then, it took me about a year before I was able to land a solid position. That was a struggle in and of itself because everyone wanted experience and I didn't have the experience. And back then, we used to look in the newspapers, the daily newspapers, and the help wanted advertisements. And then You know, you would dress up nice and I would put on a tie and I would get in my car and drive there, go through the whole interview process. And basically what I was told time and time again, uh, Jim, you're a nice guy and I think you would do a great job if, if you had some experience and uh, thanks for taking the time to come out and meet with us and good luck and I remember at the time just being so frustrated and I had a physical portfolio that I carried with me to all of these meetings. And eventually what I did was I worked as a freelancer and I did some jobs for local parks and recreation and put some pieces in my portfolio that I was able to show that I had some quote unquote real world experience. And then uh, eventually I was hired for by a, a pretty reputable agency. And that agency had AT&T, which is a, uh, was a huge company, still is today. <clears throat> and uh, that's how I got started. But, uh, you know, I, like I was saying, I know what it's like to come back from the brink of mental exhaustion. Because when I started my own agency, when I got into the agency world myself from the business owner uh, position or standpoint, I followed the corporate blueprint because that's what I saw. That's what I understood. I understood how all of the parts worked. Now, back then, agencies were filled with a lot of, I hate to say it, but half-starved freelancers. People like myself at the time, we were mostly all in our early 20s. And then over us, now above us were people in their mid to late 20s. And those were the people that were sick of 
doing the, I don't know if you want to call it the grunt work or the grunt jobs, but they had their eyes on the next position up, which would be the department managers. And those were the people that were in their late 30s, I would say to early 40s. And then above them, of course, were the business owners, and they were mostly in their 50s and 60s. And so I could see the path fairly clearly. I could see how the, the model worked. Basically, they were charging, and we're going back quite a ways now, but they were charging like $150 an hour for some of these, um, for some of the work. And then they would hand it off to a free, no, I won't, they're not really freelancers, they were employees, but they would hand it off to a 20-something who had one or two years experience, and they were getting paid about $7 an hour. And the agency was making between 100 and 150 an hour off of that person's effort. So do the math. Uh, so yeah, it was it was a crazy world. It was a very fast-paced world, a little bit too fast-paced for me, because what I learned is that, and this is just something that carries over into life in general. There's a huge difference between learning something in the classroom and being in school, and then being out there in the real world. I find that. In a lot of cases, if you're learning from someone who's no longer a part of that world, for example, if you're learning from somebody who was in the design world maybe five years ago, but now they just teach design, they're not actually out there anymore, things change so quickly that a lot of times you're learning things that are no longer current. I don't say that to knock anybody who's doing that. It was just an observance that I made way back then uh, as I was moving from one period of my growth as a business owner to the next. But so, you know, I looked at that and I thought, you know, I don't want to be here for the. I can't picture myself being here for the next 30, 40 or 50 years. Just the thought of it was depressing and I was just getting started. So what to do, what to do. So I had a, a identity, identity crisis, I guess you could call it, from about the age of, I don't know, about 23 to maybe 25 in there and opted to do some other things. Thankfully, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs, third generation entrepreneurs. So I knew what went into starting and running a business and growing a business. I knew it wasn't easy, but from the vantage point that I was looking at life at the time, nothing was easy. No matter what path I was going to choose, for the long haul, there's going to be work and quite a bit of it, to be blunt about it, uh, involved. So that's the world that I was a part of and I got away from it. And what I did was, without really being conscious that I was doing so, when I started my own agency, which happened to be more of a digital agency, I guess maybe like 50-50. It was still paper and ink when I was starting back in 1998 when I officially kicked off. Um, but one of the things I don't talk about very much and one of the things that motivated me to get into the agency business was I had two other things that I was pursuing, two other small businesses, and both of them benefited from me having a digital agency business. I had a publishing business and another type of business, and I was also involved in the nonprofit world, and all of those things benefited from me having an agency or from what the agency provided. Now, for those of you who romanticize the multiple business entrepreneurial type of journey, let me just gently bring you back down to earth. There is nothing wrong with working long, hard hours if there's an end in sight. The hustle lifestyle really isn't so bad. In the short term, 
because no matter who you are, I can almost guarantee that you've lived it for at least X number of years of your life if you're trying to make progress in life, make progress in business. The problems come when you're working these long, hard hours and there's no reward and there's no real end in sight. You're just basically surviving. And believe me, it happens to a lot of people. And it happened to me, but I really didn't think much of it at the time because everyone around me seemed to be living that way. My father told me the story of how his father helped him out at one point in his own journey when I was born. I was just a baby at the time, and my father was growing a new business that he started, and it just wasn't making the income that it needed to to support um, a brand new family. I'm, I'm sure plenty of you can relate to that. And so my, my grandfather uh, helped him out. He said, look, how much are you, what's the distance, what's the, what's the number between what you're making and what you need? And let me give that to you. Don't throw in the towel on this business yet. And so he helped him out for a short period of time until finally things broke open for him in his own business. And so I went into the business world looking at the same thing. The difference, I think, was was that the business that I was in, like a lot of you, the people around you, maybe your family, your friends, don't understand how that kind of business works. They don't understand how the online world works, and they still have the old, an old school type of mentality. But I was working hard, and I really didn't think much of it at the time. I was burning the candle at both ends, juggling all of the responsibilities that come with running a digital agency, whether it's successful or not. And I really didn't think much about it because, like I said, everybody around me seemed to be living that way. They worked hard, they played hard, but then eventually they burned out. And you could just see it. You could just see it. You could look at somebody before and after pictures, before they started this kind of business and after they've been in it for several years, they all looked a good decade older than they really were. I'm laughing like it's funny. It's really not funny, but no, you have to have measurable goals, measurable objectives that once met, once you meet that objective, is going to give you a return on your effort that's measurable. I'm using this word measurable because it's important because we only have so much of everything. We only have so much money so much energy, so much attention, so much focus. And we could argue that some of these things we have less of today because of how the entire online world is designed to take those things away from you, to basically put everybody in the ADD, the attention deficit disorder camp. And uh, for example, let's, let's look at something that will be easy for the average person to relate to. Let's say that you want to build a YouTube channel for your business to promote whatever it is that you do. And so you're going to start with building a subscriber base. So the first thing that you do is you look around and you see who all the big names are maybe in your particular niche, or you look at some people whose content you admire, and that gives you that initial hope, that initial energy so, and you want real subscribers, meaning that you want people that have a genuine interest in your work. It's not just a matter of showing a number, but you want to have people that are, again, they have a genu- genuine interest in your topic and in your work. So maybe you set an initial goal of getting your first, let's say 2,000 subscribers. And if that number's too low for you, maybe 5,000 would be a better number. 
So two or five or somewhere in between, whatever it is, just pick a number. Now, the point is you may dig in and really make an effort to market and promote your new channel. Maybe you're putting in the hours, creating the content, editing it, putting the graphics that go along with it. Maybe you're going to really step up your game and have things in your videos that really set your videos apart that professional look, maybe perfect lighting, or maybe you're going to go another way and have some animations involved that other people don't, maybe in a talking head video or whatever your style is, you're really honing your craft. You're really putting in the effort, but you have that target, that initial target, which is, let's say, let's start with 2000. Say you want your first, you're starting with zero subscribers. Maybe you get your first few your friends, a few family people, a few people that you don't know. It always seems like if you start a YouTube channel, you'll get people that you'll wonder, how did these people find me? But uh, And then you put in the hours, like I said, networking and promoting it and talking to people about it. But the thing is, if you have that 2K, 2,000 people target, the 2,000 subscriber target, you have a finish line in sight when you get started. There is a measurable distance between where you are now and where you want to be to meet your objective. There's a finish line to cross, and that's where the campaign or that particular campaign comes to an end. Now, the nice thing about it is when you have a specific target or destination in mind, let's say 2,000 subs to your new YouTube channel, once you hit the start, once you hit that target, you can stop, you can take a breath, you can enjoy the win, and you can learn from the experience. You know, what a lot of people do today is they'll take a course, which there's nothing wrong with doing this on how to build a YouTube channel. Maybe they'll read an ebook on it. Maybe they'll join a few groups and they'll get an idea of what it is that they're going to be doing on a day-to-day -day basis to reach their initial target, their initial 2,000 subscribers. So that's either going to work or it isn't. Maybe you end up with 500 or 300 or 1,000 or maybe you do hit the 2,000, but the point is, once you have a finish line in sight, then you know at a certain point, okay, now we've hit the target or we're doing so poorly that even that's too far away. And you stop and you make some adjustments. You begin to recognize what you're doing right. You recognize what you're doing wrong. And then you go ahead and you make some adjustments so that you can do better as you continue to move forward. Now, this is much different than not having a target at all or not having a finish line at all that you identify and you just go ahead and you work long hours in the hopes of basically getting as many people as possible to subscribe to your channel. That may work for some of the people some of the time, but there are definitely drawbacks to it. For example, having a specific finish line insight and not having the finish line insight at all will usually determine what kind of drive or what kind of energy you'll bring to the table on a daily basis. Without a specific target, it's so easy just to waste time and energy doing things that really don't matter much at all in the big scheme of things. When you choose a target, there's a sense of accomplishment when you hit the target. But when the target is non-existent or at best vague, then we have the work that we're doing, but the feeling of accomplishment or the feeling of having accomplished something just isn't there. Now, if the number 2,000 or 5,000 or whatever number that you would like to hit is too big for you, and you don't have the confidence to hit that, well then start out and build your confidence by choosing a number that 
is going to be easy for you, that you know that you can accomplish it. And take baby steps forward. I know so many times people lack confidence. This is something that people don't really talk that much about, especially men. I think there's something negative about admitting that you don't have confidence, unless maybe you're a teenager, but you think that as a grown man, you should have confidence because you've been through a lot. But the truth is, is that, and I can say for myself, I have confidence based on my experience with things. And so if I failed at something, of course, I'm not going to have the same kind of confidence that I had doing something that I've succeeded over and and doing over and over again. And that's just natural that way. I remember the first times I did public speaking, I was horrible at it. And it wasn't until I had spoken or I spoke in public, I should say, several dozen times that my confidence was there. And I would say that I was on the extreme negative side of the lack of confidence scale, if such a scale existed when it came to speaking in public. But I've done it so many times now over the years that now I feel really comfortable whether I'm speaking to one person or a group of people in a big room or an audience of people. There was no way that I could start out doing that. I mean, I would have been choking on my words probably quite literally. I had trouble even standing up in a classroom of my peers and reading an oral report at one point in time. The idea of having people listening to what I'm saying or especially if I think about if podcasting was around back then, forget about it. I never would have done it. I had to take small steps, and getting confidence was something that only happened by repeated exposure to talking in front of people. And so if we apply this to what we're talking about here, if you want to build a subscriber base and you've tried to do certain things in the past to get people to subscribe to a newsletter or a video channel or your Twitter, wherever, and you're not getting the fans, followers, or subscribers, well then, of course, it's going to be logical that you would have very little confidence of doing this. So maybe you take a small baby step and say, let me get my first 10 subscribers or my first 20 subscribers and then celebrate that goal and then look at what you did and go from there. That's better than looking at one to 5,000 subscribers and just your mind will not accept it. You will just shut down. You won't do the work because your belief isn't there. Your confidence isn't there. And so if you have to grow, guess what? So does everyone else. No one starts at the top. Everyone starts at the beginning. Everyone starts with their first step. And if it's easier for the person to the left of you or for the person to the right of you than it is for you, who cares? It doesn't matter because it's not where we start that matters. It's where we finish. And so I just want to encourage you not to look down on where you are, regardless of where you are in the whole process of things. All right, let's talk a little bit about, I guess we could call it your unique path to business growth. Now, if you're a freelancer or a solopreneur, even if you plug in a complete system, something that ticks all the boxes, something that covers everything from A to Z, it's still going to take a little bit of time for you to become familiar with that system so that you can work that system comfortably. I know some people believe that if they just had all of these parts that they're currently missing, that that would solve all their problems. And that's partially correct. Having all of the pieces in place is important. If you think like a manufacturer might think, having a system that works decently and gets the job done is important. But then of course, there's the other side of this where you have to work the system. So the system itself is great, 
but you still have to learn how to work the system and you're going to learn how to work it with increasing effectiveness the more that you do it. Think about any kind of tech that you use the first time that you use it. It may do 12 different things really well, but you're only basically getting maybe 10 to 15% out of it because you're just learning how to use it. You're just becoming proficient and it's new to you. So a lot of the business models that are taught today require multiple people to be a part of this business ongoing in order for it to run efficiently. Now, some people might say, now consider this. Let's say you're fitting into the solopreneur, freelancer, small business owner type of category. Some people who fit that category make statements like, well, I have a graphic design agency or I have a digital marketing agency, but it's just them. Now, I understand the word agency makes the business sound larger or perhaps more mature. And I'm not knocking the definition. You can call your business whatever you want to call it. It's your business. But that's the impression that it gives to the outsider. But if it's just you, it's just so much easier to, at least internally, regardless of whatever labels or definitions you have in your business, it's just much easier if you see yourself as a solopreneur. That way you get the idea. Solo, it's just you. Yes, you're an entrepreneur. Yes, you hire other people out from time to time. But you are the heart and soul of the business. Without you, there really isn't a business. Now, when you apply the long, hard hours with no end in sight principle to your business and specifically, let's say, your internal processes, you know what the internal processes are. These are the things that you do that other people don't see. These are the things that enable you to run and manage the business on a daily basis. You probably recognize that many of your business building activities are suffering from the same issues of the no end in sight, the not having a specific target in sight or not being able to see a specific finish line. And so thinking about these processes, trying to improve them, uh, researching tools that can possibly help you, this also becomes a bottomless pit of time suck and energy suck and just more things to occupy your mind. That old saying applies here, where attention goes, energy flows, and you only have so much attention on any given day. This is why, again, it seems to take forever for a lot of people to get things done today. So if you look at an online business, <clears throat> excuse me, you have the internal processes that run the business, the inner workings of that business, and then you have the external processes that determine what kind of experience, let's say, your customers have or your clients have. The problem many solopreneurs and small business owners have is that there are areas, internal and external, with these processes and tools, again, where there's no end in sight. There aren't any finish lines. So, for example, in my industry, here's just a quick example. There's tools for developing websites. There's tools for managing process or excuse me, managing finances. There's tools for onboarding new clients or managing projects and all of these other things. You get the idea. And most of these tools have a learning curve. And then we have the processes that we create that each of these tools fit into. And so what happens here is that, well, let me just add on top of this. Then we have the tools for the external purposes like marketing and publicity, for example. And between these two areas, we have just a whole nother realm of possibilities that we can think about, that we can research, 
and again with no end in sight. So if you have these open-ended projects, open-ended meaning, again, no finish line, then this is really detrimental to, be, to your business growth. Now, I remember recently talking with Lori. Here's an example of me doing something stupid. And it's funny how we think that our approach is really the best approach. I mean, if we didn't think we were, how many of you think you're doing the best that you can do? How many of you think that you're taking the smartest approach? Maybe you don't think that you're taking the smartest approach, but you definitely don't believe you're taking a stupid approach or else you wouldn't be doing it this way. You'd be doing it some other way. And so it's amazing how we, we reason and we allow for our own stupidity. So this is something that I did, which was stupid, but I didn't realize it was stupid while I was doing it. So I had this open-ended project, no end in sight, no finish line. And I was investing 30 minutes here, an hour there, two hours here, uh, online researching stuff, thinking about it, occupying a lot of uh, headspace. And Lori asked me about it. And she said, we're sitting down at dinner one night, and she asked me about this. And I said, I want to make this process more efficient. And she knows how much time I was spending and I was talking about it. I have this habit of talking about challenges <laughs> with, with family and uh, just a lot of business stuff. I like to talk about it. I, you know, to be honest, sometimes I don't think people are actually listening because they don't really understand what I'm talking about. But it does feel good to actually verbalize it, if you follow what I'm saying. But she finally stopped me and she said, how much time are you spending on this? And I was spending hours every week. And she said, well, how much time does this, what you're trying to do, take you currently? And I thought about it, seriously. And I said, well, maybe about an hour to an hour and a half. And she said, every week? And I said, no, no, every month. And I wish I could just take a snapshot of what her expression looked like when I said that. And then I added to that. I said, well, okay, maybe two hours a month. <clears throat> Excuse me. And she laughed and she said, that's nothing. An hour and a half or even two hours a month is nothing. And the more I thought about it, and we had a good heart-to-heart -heart conversation, I realized that I was burning too much time thinking about maybe saving 30 minutes a month, which realistically was all I would really be able to save. Or maybe you could say completely automating something that was already semi-automated. I think that was really what was in the back of my mind. I wanted to automate something a little bit more. Why? Because I thought, well, I'm spending too much time, but I didn't realize I was only spending an hour and a half, maybe two hours. On a bad month, I would spend two hours. On a good month, maybe I'd spend 45 minutes on this project, and that's nothing. <laughs> so, and looking at the big picture, was that really the most important issue or challenge in the business? Of course not. Well, why then was I wasting so much time on trying to fix something that really wasn't broken? Maybe the bigger question is, why do any of us spend so much time researching things that at the end of the day have little to no effect on the bottom line of the business? I mean, what are we doing? Are we growing a business or are we doing something else? Maybe we just enjoy doing the research or maybe it's our way of staying busy while avoiding the parts of our business that we really don't find enjoyable. You know, I guess everyone has to answer that question for themselves but here's the facts. In the digital business world, 
change is constant. And even if the changes are small, they are constant. Now, years ago, I, I used to visit the corporate headquarters of a major orange juice manufacturer. The biggest in the country it was located in Bradenton, Florida. Or, you know, of course, oranges in Florida go hand in hand. They had multiple departments and offices there in Bradenton. And uh, I remember the first time I visited there, naturally, I found, my, I found myself very interested in their quote-unquote tech stack. I wanted to know what it was because I was sort of comparing what they had with what I had in my business. And I was looking for a way or, or a model, I guess, a business model relative to the technical side of things that I could more or less mirror. I want to know what type of computers they were running, what type of memory they had, what types of software they were using, how their processes worked. And then I was going to go ahead and, and, and borrow some of their ideas and implement them for my own business. I was shocked to learn that they weren't using the latest and greatest of anything. As a matter of fact, my software was newer. My hardware was newer. It was arguably better. And everything there was older than I thought it would be. Now, I later learned that they updated their equipment usually every X number of years, every five years, possibly, uh, if I remember correctly. But think about this. Big corporations, for the most part, master their processes by focusing on what's important. They know how to do it. They didn't get big by accident. And I can guarantee even today, you can probably go to some of the largest headquarters. Now, if you, if you visit there and they just happen to upgrade everything and everything is new and shiny, of course, you're not going to see this. But if you look at that company over the period of five years, they do not keep up with change, quote unquote, the way a lot of smaller business owners, especially digital business owners, think that they have to keep up with change to keep competitive. It's not that way at all. Now, I can see the competitiveness of it if you're selling technology, because if you're selling technology, you want to be able to provide people with the latest and the greatest. But if you're using technology, does it really matter let me just ask you a few simple questions now. Does it really matter if you're using the latest and greatest smartphone or if your smartphone is, let's say, two years old? Does it really matter if, now I know I'm going to hit, I'm bound to hit a nerve here, but does it really matter if, okay, I'm not going to go there. I was going to make a comment here about page builders, but too many, too many of my friends are entrenched and listen to this podcast are entrenched in their belief of which is the best tools to use for website development. Let me skip over that. Let me talk about email marketing. Uh, does it really matter if deliverability aside? I know some people will say, well, this system has a better deliverability rate, meaning that your message will wind up in your client or customers or prospects inbox more often than not if you use certain systems over other systems. There are so many different email marketing systems out there today. But most of the time, believe it or not, it's the content of the email, not the system delivering it, which will determine whether or not that ends up in the inbox or someone's spam folder. I know there's other issues with it. Maybe that's oversimplifying it. But the truth is that if there really was such a thing as the top 10 email marketing systems that you could use, and you were using the sixth best, according to the experts, do you really think that would have a detrimental effect on the success of your online business? 
It's all about the messaging. It's all about the contents of the email, not the hardware that was used to deliver the email. Okay, not to hyper-focus on email, but we can focus on anything. Let's say writing content. Does it really matter where you're writing the content as long as you have access to maybe a spell checker or a grammar checker? Or does it really matter if you use Word or if you use Google Docs? And if you are using software, does it matter if you're using like two or three generations, like two or three year old software that hasn't been updated to write content, to record your thoughts? And so the reason why I'm saying this is because we have internal projects that we do. They're open-ended. There's no end in sight. And I know this because, and the reason why I brought up email is because basically every email solution that's come on the market for the past 15 years, I've bought. It's almost a hobby of mine to buy email marketing tools just because I'm interested in it. But honestly, I've burned quite a bit of money just to go through the process of kicking the tires. And what I've learned has it added to my bottom line over the past 15 years, all the time and energy and focus that I put into learning about and using all of these email marketing systems? No. Now, if I had decided to build my business around the concept of email marketing software and I had a website <clears throat> in which I analyzed, excuse me, email marketing software, and I was an affiliate for, let's say, five or six different brands, and that was my business model, well, then that's something totally different. If you're keeping up with technology because you write about technology or you have a newsletter or whatever, then that's totally different. We're talking about how you're spending your time. If you're a small business owner, if you're a solopreneur, and you need to have certain things functioning properly in your business. There needs to be a beginning, a middle, and an end. There needs to be a start line and a finish line for you to have certain things in place. And yes, maybe you will end up putting in place the fourth best, let's say, invoicing system that's on the market today. You're going to have to be okay with that because unless your business is solely focused around that piece of software, you don't need the very best cutting edge piece of software to send a bill to someone. What you need is something that works good enough for you. What, what is good enough? I would say that if you could give it a B, an 80 to an 85 B plus, then I would say that like the big corporations do, that's what you're going to use for the next X number of years. Maybe you revisit the technical or software stack or your tech stack a few years down the line. Now, for me, I use in the, when it comes to the website development business, I use about three different products and those products are always changing. So if someone asks you which, the, which is the best tool to use, it would depend what month they ask you because there's always new updates coming out. And so there's two or three tools that I mainly stick with I'm not 100% happy with any single one of them right now, but I don't have to be. Do you know why? Because none of my clients are complaining, not a single one of them. None of them are complaining about all of the things that the people who develop websites complain about in our own circles. When it comes to marketing, none of, the, none of my clients, none of my customers are complaining about the marketing or advertising or 
publicity promotion issues, none of them are complaining about those things that people inside the actual industry are complaining about. And so when you look at your business as a whole, I understand there are parts of your business that aren't working as well as they could be working. And I understand that you have to allot some time to fixing those things, but it's not about making those things perfect. That's an open-ended project with no end in sight. There is such a thing as good enough. You know, for years I looked at, for years, I'm saying like five years. Five years seems like for years, doesn't it? If you say for years, meaning like a long time. Anyway, for five years I was looking at different project management tools. And I was having the hardest time getting customers or clients to show any interest in any of these tools. And so what I did before then, before there was such a thing as project management tools, is I would create, and there's three types of tech. (laughs) There's low tech, mid tech, and high tech. I like the phrase mid tech. Matter of fact, Lori was the first one that kind of explained it to me this way, but for a lot of our business activities, we'll have like a, a folder on our desktop, you know, our digital desktop. I'm not talking about the physical desktop. And within that folder will be other folders. And so I may open up a document and I might write, keep up to date my notes on a specific project, but I may have one folder for artwork. I may have another folder for some technical things that need to be done. I organize everything by folders and the folder exists on my desktop. And then from there, I used video to communicate with designers, developers, and other people that were working for me. And I would communicate to them exactly what I wanted. I would communicate what I didn't want. And on whatever systems they were using, they had their own management tools in-house. In other words, They had software that they really liked to use. I had software that I liked to use. We had different processes, but we had the same end goals in mind. So I really didn't care what they used. I really didn't care. It got to the point where it was so hard getting people on board. Now, if I had everybody at a physical location, everybody and everybody was working in-house and I owned all the computers, but I didn't do it that way. I kind of did the outsourcing thing before there was a, a term outsourcing. And the people that worked for me, after interviewing them, I would decide that I want them to work with tools that they're comfortable working with. I wanted the designers to use tools they were comfortable working with. And I really didn't care whether they used Adobe Photoshop or they used something else. All I cared about was that I had the final image that I was looking for and that it was editable with the tools that I had on my side. So if I wanted to jump in if I had the original artwork and make a few changes, I had the tools to be able to do that. And it worked great that way because I didn't have to train everyone to work the exact same way that I did. I just had to make sure that the communication was spot on and I used video to do it. I used video before video was popular. I still use video today. And one of the reasons why I like to record these videos, and I have hundreds and hundreds of them, is because I like for people to be able to go back and listen to it or watch it again. Does that make sense? And so that's how I did my project management for years. And then suddenly all of these project management tools came out, which basically did the same thing online using a software as a service as I did on my desktop. Everything was basically folders and moving things from one folder to the other. 
And so as the project manager, which I considered myself to be in my own business, how I ran my own business for years, then all I would do is basically keep the lines of communication open between myself and the end client. I was the contact person. And, and, and that's how I ran my business, and I never had any problems. Matter of fact, I didn't even know I had a problem until the people that made project management software basically said, hey, all of you out there who aren't using this software, you have a problem. You're doing it backwards. So just something to chew on. All right, so I think I've been speaking about 40 minutes now. So let's go ahead and start wrapping up this topic by talking about how do we apply this to your business. The first thing I encourage you to do, grab a scrap piece of paper or something and write it out so you can see it, all of your business activities, both internal and external. Write them out on a piece of paper so you can see it for yourself. If you build something, if you teach something, if you make something, go ahead and write that down. It's easier if you create two categories, internal and external. External is what you do for your customers and your clients. It's the things they experience. It's the end product. And then you can look under the external category and you can ask yourself, what's broken? Broken being defined as anything that gets lower than an 80% satisfaction rating. Now, nothing's ever going to be 100%. Forget about 100% satisfaction with anything for very long, all right? That's just the way it is. And if you have something that's lower than 80, that's what you're going to work on. That's what you're going to fix. And if you can't afford the solution or the fix that you want, or you can't make it, or you can't build it, then go with the next best option. Again, the goal here is not to hit 100% satisfaction. It's to at least get to 80, at least get a B. B is good, especially in the world of uh, digital business today, online business. And then I'm sure it's even more so with offline business, with how expensive things are in that category. And then you just go on and you move on to the next thing. You begin to cross finish lines. The finish line means that project's over. Let it go. You're one person and move on to something that is going to directly increase your bottom line, which is going to directly bring new customers to the table, new contacts to your list. Those are the activities that grow the business. So cross, begin to cross things off your list. You can always, like the big corporations do, revisit it in the future. Maybe you have it on your calendar 24 months from now. I know that seems like forever, especially if you're in the digital world, but you're going to re-examine your tech stack. And until that time, unless something breaks, you're going to leave it alone. Why? Because you're going to spend your time doing the things that create happy customers, happy clients. You're going to be doing the things that bring in new business, that create income for your business, because those are the things that are going to matter, not just in your life, but in the lives of your loved ones, your family, the people around you. So become get in the habit of identifying that finish line and crossing the finish line. Now, we could talk about external or we can talk about internal stuff, too, because your time, your focus, your energy, that's another place where you can get into this endless cycle of never being able to get to that end point. Same principles apply here. If you're genuinely unhappy with something, if you're not at least 80% satisfied, go ahead, fix it to the best of your ability, cross that off, and then move on. The, the reality of it is this. If you have enough money, if you're making enough money, you can have custom solutions made if you want. Just for your business, something that fits almost like a glove, you can hire experts that can help you solve these problems, but you'll never get there 
If you're forever tied up with these open-ended, no-end-in-sight projects that aren't directly contributing to your bottom line, I'm sure that you can look at the past 12 months, at the past 24 to 36 months, the past few years of your life, and look at your bottom line and ask yourself, where were you spending all of your time the last few years? Were you just researching stuff? Were you just talking to people about business more than you were actually involved in the working of the business? I say this because recently I told a group of people, if you spent as much time trying to get new customers by reaching out to real people every day as you do researching client acquisition software, as you do researching or playing with customer relationship management tools, CRMs, you would probably be rich by now. And I know it's funny looking at it that way, but we really don't realize sometimes when we're in it, we can't see the forest for the trees. All we do is we know that we're working a lot, but we don't really seem to be getting to where we want to be getting to, really not getting very far. So I say that not as a downer, not to make you mad or make you annoyed or anything like that. I have been there myself. I've even been there recently with a few things, like I said before, that I was just investing a lot of time in for really no good reason. So, all right, let's go ahead and put the bookmarker in it there. That's about all for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you think it will help a friend, please go ahead and share the episode link with them. Share it online. Send them to jimgalliano.com forward slash podcast if that's easier with the episode name. They can find everything there. As I like to remind those of you who listen, it's your sharing of this podcast that enables me to reach people who would otherwise be very difficult to reach in an increasingly noisy online space. So thanks again for being here. Have a great rest of your week and I'll talk to you later.